0: Due to the graphic nature of this story, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of murder and cannibalism. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
1: On Christmas Day, 1846, Franklin Graves knew his life was about to end. His impending doom didn't bother him much but he worried about his two daughters sitting nearby.
0: Nine days before, the three of them, plus 14 others, had made a desperate bid to save themselves. They'd hoped to walk out of California's Sierra Nevada mountain range, where a blizzard had trapped them without food.
1: But the snowdrifts only grew deeper, and the group became stuck once again. Now they were starving and weaker than ever, and
0: Franklin knew he
1: didn't have much time left.
0: As the edges of his vision faded to black, he felt like he was looking through a tunnel. He couldn't feel his arms or legs anymore. With the last of his strength, he turned to his daughters. He told them he was going to die.
1: Then, as the story goes, he advised them to eat his body.
0: Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly.
1: And I'm your host, Richard. This season on Unexplained Mysteries, we'll be investigating the most mysterious doomed expeditions in history. We'll look at why humans explore and why they fail.
0: Today, we're following the Donner Party, a group of immigrants who failed to reach California in covered wagons in 1846. This is one of the most well-known doomed expeditions in American history, but there are several key mysteries that survive to this day. Disappearances,
1: murder, and poor decision-making led to tragedy, but not for everyone. Thanks to the survivors, we know almost exactly what happened to the Donner Party, but we still don't know why.
0: So we're asking, why do some survive in the face of certain death?
1: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
0: There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state.
1: The United States expanded its territory in the mid-1800s, sparking a wave of westward migration. The Pacific Coast beckoned many Americans living in cramped cities and small farms to open wide lands of what would soon be
0: Oregon and California. All these homesteaders had to do was cross over 2,000 miles of mostly uncharted and difficult terrain. There were terrible blizzards in the winter and tornadoes in the summer. Diseases and wild animals everywhere and no hospitals. One in 10 migrants
1: died on the trail west, about 65,000 people over two and a half decades. That was enough death to leave a tombstone every 150 feet from the Mississippi River to the Pacific Ocean.
0: This was why Westward Pilgrims almost never went alone. They banded together with other families and groups to form massive wagon trains. This way, they could share medical supplies and food in emergencies and fend off the occasional attack from local indigenous populations. The trains were like small nations and even had elected leaders and constitutions.
1: On May 12,
0: 1846,
1: one of these huge wagon trains departed from Independence, Missouri. There were about 500 wagons in the line, comprising dozens of households, complete with babies, grandparents, and hired hands.
0: Among these were two large families from Springfield, Illinois, the Donners and the Reeds. The Donner clan was led by a pair of middle-aged brothers, George and Jacob. Between them, they had a dozen children.
1: The Reeds, led by James and his wife Margaret, had four children and Margaret's elderly mother along for the ride. Both families also had hired help to drive the wagons and
0: manage the cattle. In case you're losing count, just between the Donners and Reeds, there were over 30 mouths to feed every day. And like all migrating families, they had to carry all their food, supplies, and everything else they had in their creaky wagons. The most common
1: type was called a prairie schooner. It was just a bit smaller than a modern pickup truck and could hold as much as 2,500 pounds. Often, each heavy wagon was hitched to as many as six oxen.
0: These cattle were the wagon's engines, and they needed grass and water for fuel. Every single ox was expensive, so to keep the weight down, many migrants walked alongside their wagons for the entire 2,000-mile journey to the Oregon Territory.
1: Needless to say, they couldn't move quickly, but the trek was still exhausting. According to Ethan Rarick, author of Desperate Passage, The Donner Party's Perilous Journey West, the Donner and Reed wagon train was traveling around 15 miles a day, Think of a daily half-marathon
0: plus change. And from the get-go, the May 12th wagon train had problems. The families should have ideally departed a few weeks earlier, in mid-April at the latest, when it would be easier to find consistent grasses for the oxen.
1: The later a wagon train left, the more likely they were to still be on the road when cold weather arrived in early fall. Winters could be fatal in the Rocky and Sierra Nevada mountain ranges, but many emigrants were inexperienced city folk who didn't recognize dangerous weather or terrain until
0: it was too late. Which may be why George Donner's wife, Tamson, was optimistic when they first set out. She even wrote to her friends back in Independence, the trouble is all in getting started.
1: For the first month or so, she was mostly right. There was only one loss, Margaret Reed's mother passed away just over two weeks after their departure.
0: But new problems were brewing. Because of all their heavy cargo, the group moved at a sluggish pace, often less than two miles per hour. Sometimes, the rough terrain slowed them so much they only covered a few miles per day.
1: Fortunately, they were on a well-established trail that was easy to follow. But on July 18th, they got to the Continental Divide, which lay in modern-day Wyoming and was roughly halfway to the Pacific. There, everything changed.
0: From Independence to the Rocky Mountains, the path was the same for all westward migrants. But once they crossed the Divide, there was no single trail. Every family had to work out its next move for itself. For
1: the Donners and the Reeds, this meant splitting off from the main wagon train because they knew about a shortcut. Most groups went north through Oregon,
0: but they knew of a direct southern route to California. This path was called the Hastings Cut-Off, and it promised to shorten the trip over the mountains by many days, maybe even weeks. Reed likely heard about it from a trail guidebook written by a young lawyer from Ohio named Lansford Hastings.
1: There was just one problem. Hastings had never actually taken the shortcut when he wrote about it. He just figured it was theoretically possible.
0: Others who'd been to California and back also knew about this route, and they said it was deadly. A friend warned the Reeds and Donners not to take Hastings' path.
1: To this day, we don't know why they chose to ignore this advice. It's one of the most enduring mysteries of the Donner Party. We can only assume their delays overruled any other concern. The party was a few weeks behind most other wagon trains, and they still had half the journey ahead. They knew the cold was coming.
0: And perhaps they overestimated their ability to travel quickly through rough terrain, where water and grass were sparse. In particular, James Reed was known to be overconfident. It's likely he pushed the cutoff to save time. Unfortunately for all involved, this hubris would prove deadly.
1: On July 20th, two days after crossing the Continental Divide, the Donners and Reeds bid farewell to the main wagon train. They were taking their chances on the Hastings Cut-Off, and
0: they weren't alone. Many other families had also heard about the shortcut. For several days, numerous other groups joined the party until it swelled to include 11 households, dozens of wagons, and nearly 100 people, including hired hands.
1: From this point on, they were officially known as the Donner Party. And for better or worse, they were all on
0: the same path until the end. However, after a few weeks, their journey's end seemed farther off than ever before. Hastings' guidebook had sold Reed on a trail that was shorter and easier, but it was neither, not even close.
1: The supposed shortcut offered nothing but bad water, sparse grass, and terribly steep rock faces. The party was hung up for days cutting through underbrush, all while emptying and reloading the wagons to get over impassable cliffs.
0: Worst of all, the cutoff led straight through the great Salt Lake Desert.
1: As the name implies, this desert is mostly salt flats, and they're notoriously dangerous. Even relatively modern expeditions have met their demise there.
0: In 1929, a group of adventurers tried to recreate the Donner Party Trail in a Ford Model A car. Less than halfway across the desert, the vehicle became mired in salt mud.
1: Then, in September 1986, a group of archaeologists tried a similar route in full-size 4x4 trucks. Even they couldn't make it across.
0: The toughest challenge was a 40-mile stretch without trees, water, or grass. This section alone took the Donner Party five and a half days. Remember, they were only moving at 2 miles an hour max, less if the wagons got stuck.
1: The desert also cost them dearly in supplies. Nearly 40 cattle got lost or died, and at least four wagons were abandoned in the mud. The reeds eventually only had one wagon left and just two animals to pull it.
0: Worst of all, it was nearly October. The weather was already getting cold, and soon the mountain passes would be filled with snow. The window to safely cross the Sierras was closing, But the Donner Party still had roughly 600 miles to go. And soon, their frustration would erupt into violence.
1: Coming up, the Donner Party deals with a murder. Hi, it's Richard, and I'm thrilled to share a special announcement with you. On July 12th, ParCast is releasing its first book, it's titled, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Join Them. It's based on the very popular Cults podcast that my friends Greg and Vanessa host. And starting right now, you can pre-order it at parcast.com slash cults. With the benefit of years of research and insights, this captivating book has put together a comprehensive narrative that tries to make sense of mysterious groups such as Nexium. Heaven's Gate, The Manson Family, and more. Exposing how shared beliefs can have deadly results and taking you deeper into the dark side of human nature than ever before. This book is a must-read for any true crime fan. There are limited copies available, so don't wait. Head to parcast.com cults now to pre-order cults inside the world's most notorious groups and understanding the people who join them. That's parcast.com slash cults. And thanks again for supporting Parcast.
0: Now back to the story. After several difficult weeks in the desert, the Donner Party finally reached Nevada's Humboldt River on September 26, 1846. They were back on the trail to California, but the Hastings cutoff had taken a terrible toll. The party
1: was now a full month behind schedule, and while the weather was getting colder, tempers were growing hot. Many travelers blamed James Reed for the foolish decision to take the Hastings Cut-Off.
0: Though the party was still traveling west together, there was little camaraderie between the wagons. Many families avoided each other, refusing to trade supplies or food.
1: There was a pervasive feeling that in the event of an emergency, It was every household for themselves.
0: On October 5th, a week after reaching the main trail, the wagons hit a particularly steep passage. A driver named John Snyder had a hard time getting the animals and vehicles up the hill.
1: Nobody knows for certain how, but the wagons abruptly slipped and collided. There was a sudden shout and a crunch of wood. The oxen got tangled and tempers flared again.
0: The eyewitness accounts vary on details, but at some point, Snyder and James Reed exchanged words and then threats. Some say Reed's wife Margaret
1: stepped in. Others suggest Snyder swung first.
0: We don't really know how the chaos unfolded or why, but we do know Snyder clobbered Reed with his whip, then Reed pulled a knife and stabbed Snyder to death.
1: The killing brought long-standing tensions to a boil. A German immigrant named Louis Keseberg thought
0: Reed should be hanged then and there. But pioneer William Eddy and his family sided with the Reeds, and the Graves family, who'd cared deeply for Snyder, were ready to abandon the whole party.
1: The arguments swirled until they reached a compromise. James Reed was to be banished. He accepted the sentence, mounted a horse, and rode off ahead on the trail.
0: The party's morale was at an all-time low, but the tragedies were just beginning.
1: At one point, a 60-year-old Belgian immigrant sat down by the side of the trail to rest. Nobody offered him help since he'd been slowing down for days thanks to his achy, swollen feet. The party kept moving,
0: and he was never seen again. As the pioneers continued along the river, local raiders stole or killed cattle. In one night alone, 19 oxen went missing, and a few days later, another 21.
1: Some families, like the Eddies and the Graves, had so few animals they couldn't even move their wagons. They had to abandon them and bury their possessions to be recovered later.
0: The Donner Party was hemorrhaging supplies, but the missing cattle made for a bigger problem. The lost animals could have been slaughtered for food if the situation turned desperate.
1: But somehow, in spite of all these challenges, the Donner Party finally reached the trail over the Sierra Nevada mountain range in late October 1846. This was the final barrier between them and fertile California, but it was the biggest one of all.
0: The Sierra Nevadas are one of the largest mountain ranges in the United States. Almost entirely within California's modern borders, they have more than 500 peaks that rise above 12,000 feet. At the time, the mountains were still mostly unmapped and wild. There were only a few known trails over the rugged terrain.
1: But still, the traveler's spirits lifted. The Donner Party had only about 100 miles to go on their 2,000-mile journey. They climbed toward the Truckee River, which ran along a pass through the mountains.
0: However, the weather was getting colder. In October, Sierra temperatures often dropped below freezing. Water buckets froze and frost covered the wagons overnight. Sudden storms were a constant threat. Then, a week later, the snow arrived.
1: Within days, snowdrifts several feet tall dwarfed the Truckee River. They slowed some families down, while others pushed on ahead, unconcerned about their mired companions. Before long, the first and last wagons in the party were miles apart.
0: Finally, on October 31st, the lead wagons reached Truckee Lake. They were almost over the mountains, but the final stretch was a grueling thousand-foot ascent.
1: The snow was still falling, and had been for eight days straight. So much had already come down, the trail ahead was completely blocked. No matter how they dug at the snow and ice, they couldn't break through.
0: It seemed the Donner Party had no choice but to hunker down for the winter.
1: Except they did have a choice. They'd passed a wide forest meadow 35 miles back, and 1,500 feet lower in elevation. In the dead of winter, every foot of altitude matters. The lower you are, the warmer and drier it is.
0: But the Donner Party was already heavily delayed, and their new homeland was just over the pass. Turning back and walking in the wrong direction, even for a mere 35 miles, must have been unthinkable.
1: Not only that, they didn't know how to navigate the Sierras. They might have believed the snow was just a bad storm and would soon melt. But it didn't. More kept falling.
0: Ultimately, we don't know why the Donner Party chose to stay at Truckee Lake. It must have seemed like as good an option as any. They even found a tiny, dilapidated cabin on the shore that previous emigrants had abandoned.
1: The nine-person Breen family, one of the first wagon-train households to arrive, moved into the cabin immediately. The other groups constructed their own
0: cabins nearby. As the majority of the party settled near the lake, the Donner family had been split from them geographically. The Donners were actually seven miles behind the other families. They set up a camp at a spot called Alder Creek.
1: In both locations, most of the party were children. More than half were under 18, and over a dozen were younger than five years old. For the first few days in camp, their laughter echoed through the silent falling
0: snow. However, as the weeks passed, supplies grew scarce. Blankets and clothes were permanently wet and cold, and dry firewood became impossible to find. Some families fared better than others. For example, the Breen's and the Graves still had many of their cattle to butcher for meat, while the reeds and eddies had virtually no supplies. Some of the wealthier
1: households drove hard bargains for food, while those who couldn't afford to trade took to hunting and scavenging. William Eddy allegedly managed to take down a grizzly bear, but even this meat ran out eventually. And without food, staying put was a death sentence.
0: There were a few attempts to continue the journey over the pass, but the snowdrifts forced the party to turn back each time.
1: By early December, over a month into their icy imprisonment, even the well-supplied families were miserable. No one in the Donner party was laughing anymore. They barely had the energy to move
0: or talk. In fact, some were near death. The Donner patriarchs, Jacob and George, were ill and injured. Jacob was feverish and growing weaker every day, while George had sliced his hand open several days before, and now the wound was infected.
1: Up at the cabins, starvation was taking a toll on everyone. One of the German immigrants, named Spitzer, was so weak he couldn't leave his bed.
0: The first to die was Bayless Williams, a cattle driver for the Reed family. He passed away on December 15th, nearly six weeks after being trapped on the mountain.
1: This was the last straw for over a dozen members of the Donner Party. They weren't going to wait around for cold or hunger to take them. They pledged to get over the pass or die trying.
0: The next day, December 16th, the group set out on homemade snowshoes, They swore if they survived, they'd bring back help and supplies.
1: For many of them, this meant an agonizing choice to leave their young children behind with no way of knowing if they'd live to see each other again.
0: All told, 15 starving immigrants, including men and women, a 13-year-old child, and grown adults, made it out of the camp. Their dangerous rescue mission would go on to be named the Forlorn Hope, and that hope faded almost immediately
1: a heavy blizzard struck just a few days after forlorn hope departed while they managed to make it over the pass the freezing blinding snow halted any further progress for the next three days by the time the storm subsided and they were able to continue the tiny bit of food they'd brought had run out
0: the next morning 14 of the explorers rose to continue the journey. But one of the men stayed by the campfire, too weak to stand. He told them he'd catch up, but he never did. His bones were discovered in the same location once the warm spring sun had melted the snow.
1: The team was now more than a week out from the cabins at Truckee Lake, and they hadn't eaten anything in over three days.
0: Then, on Christmas Eve, another blizzard hit.
1: The group camped amid the 10-foot snowdrifts and tried to spark a fire, but it was impossible. All they could do was huddle together under their blankets as the snow piled over them.
0: The next day, Christmas morning, one of the men died. A few hours later, Franklin Graves did too. According to some accounts, as he breathed his final words to his daughters, he encouraged them to use his body for food. Soon, a young pioneer passed, then another wagon driver.
1: There were now four fresh bodies among the Forlorn Hope team, and the blizzard showed no signs of stopping.
0: The group was faced with a simple, horrific choice. They could starve, or they could eat the dead.
1: Coming up, the Donner Party crosses an unthinkable line. Now, back to the story.
0: In December 1846, the Donner Party was trapped high in the Sierra Nevada mountains. Fifteen men and women attempted to walk out on snowshoes, but were halted by a raging blizzard.
1: We don't know when exactly the snowshoers made the decision to eat the dead, but we do know by January 5th, nearly half of them were dead, and their bodies sustained the survivors.
0: The living tried to avoid eating their kin, This meant, despite his alleged pleas, Franklin Graves likely wasn't the first to be consumed.
1: Either way, the group managed to continue down the mountain and stumbled into a village inhabited by the indigenous Miwok people.
0: The Miwoks provided food and shelter to the exhausted group, but the village was small and isolated below the snowy mountainside. There was no way the residents could mount a rescue and care for the dozens of party members back at the cabins.
1: William Eddy knew somebody had to continue into the valley to get help. After resting overnight, he hiked down with a pair of Miwok guides. He covered 18 miles in a single day.
0: On January 17th, a full month after leaving the cabins and ten weeks after he first became trapped, he stumbled to the door of Johnson's Ranch, the first American settlement west of the Sierras. He'd made it out alive.
1: At the ranch, Eddie was taken in and given food and blankets. Despite his exhaustion, he described the ongoing
0: emergency back at the lake. While Eddie recovered, the story of the trapped, starving emigrants spread quickly through California. Eventually, the news reached James Reed the man who'd been banished from the party over three months before, when he'd fatally stabbed another member of the group.
1: While his exile had seemed like a grave punishment at the time, it had turned out to be a blessing in disguise. As a lone traveler, he'd moved faster than the covered wagons, making it up and over the mountains before the major snowstorms. Over the winter, he'd joined the ongoing American war effort against Mexico,
0: But once he heard of their horrific conditions, he was determined to go back to save his family, no matter the risk.
1: And Reed wasn't alone. Three separate rescue missions came together within several weeks, each taking a slightly different route toward Truckee Lake.
0: The first rescue party reached the lake cabins on February 18th and discovered a horrific scene. There were bodies everywhere, some partially buried, others simply stashed under quilts.
1: Inside the crumbling structures, the stench of rot and death was unbearable. When the Forlorn Hope Group had departed, they'd left behind 61 people, two-thirds of whom were children. Now, most of the adults were dead.
0: But nobody had been eaten. The families had refused to consume their loved ones, Instead, they'd killed their oxen, dogs, and rats. When they ran out, they'd boiled the skins over and over to make a glue-like soup.
1: Just a day after the rescuers arrived, they took 23 survivors with them, mostly children and teens. Surprisingly, they still had enough energy to keep up with the adults. Historians debate how so many youngsters survived, but largely credit their parents for prioritizing their welfare over their own.
0: Meanwhile, those left behind at the lake were either too sick or too weak to make the journey. Without another rescue mission, it seemed they were likely staying behind to die or to be pushed to the extremes to survive.
1: As February came to a close, the first instance of cannibalism occurred at the lake. It was ironic the survivors went so long without resorting to eating their dead, only to devour a recently deceased member of their party so soon after the first rescuers found them.
0: Meanwhile, down at the Creek Camp, author Ethan Rarick describes how George Donner wept as his daughters consumed their Uncle Jacob's corpse.
1: For the first time in months... The Donner Party wasn't hungry anymore.
0: On February 27th, James Reed's rescue party met the first group coming down the mountain. Reed's wife, Margaret, was among the survivors. So were two of their children, including five-year-old James Jr.
1: But their reunion was short-lived. Reed knew the rest of the family and the other survivors at the cabins had only days left, if they were still alive at all. He pushed on and reached the village a few days later. He took 17 more survivors with him back down the mountain.
0: This left just 14 members of the Donner Party alive at the cabins.
1: However, when the last rescue crew arrived, they found only nine, four of whom were children. The final survivor, Louis Kesseberg, was discovered at the cabins in April, having been left for dead.
0: All around the camp, there were half-eaten bodies, and this gruesome scene of cannibalism became the legacy of the Donner Party.
1: The tragedy hit newspapers a few weeks after the last rescue. The Donner Party's misfortune was etched into history as an unlucky tale of
0: misguided
1: travelers.
0: But apart from the horrors of cannibalism, the story wasn't as disastrous as history books suggest. With the exception of James Reed's elderly mother-in-law, who died two weeks into the journey, the entire Reed and Breen families made it out alive. In total, over half of the Donner Party survived. Of the 81 people trapped at Truckee, 45 of them lived to tell the tale.
1: The most enduring mystery is why. Everyone was starving, and only about half of the survivors turned to cannibalism. How did some of them live while others
0: perished. It may have had to do with demographics. The Donner Party women had a much higher survival rate. According to an 1848 account of the journey, only eight of them died, while 28 men perished. That's more than half of the men, but less than a third of the women.
1: Some historians believe masculinity can be fatal. Much of the hardest labor... Clearing trails, working the animals, and hunting was almost exclusively done by men. By the time the party became trapped, the patriarchs simply may have been in worse physical condition than the women and thus died faster. In fact, of the men who were in their 20s, supposedly in the prime of their lives, only one survived, William Eddy.
0: But historian Ethan Rarick noted so-called women's work in the 19th century was also physically taxing. He outlines the argument that the primary difference wasn't in the amount of work that weakened them, but rather in biology.
1: Women on average have more body fat than men. In cases of starvation, this means more energy to keep the body going. Women are also often smaller than men
0: and require fewer calories. But one other factor differentiated those who died from those who lived. Social connection. Most of the survivors were accompanied by their families, while the casualties tended to be workers or solo travelers. Essentially, having someone to live for increases the chances of survival.
1: This theory is supported by modern research. Even our basic health is better when we're among loved ones. Some studies have shown people with strong family connections have fewer illnesses and heart attacks. They even suggest cancer rates are lower.
0: In the Donner Party's case, 15 members were alone without kin. These were mostly working men, and many of them died early. James Reed even described one wagon driver's end, saying, he gave up, pined away, and died. He did not starve.
1: In fact, several deaths came before the desperate hunger set in. Had the Donner Party been rescued on February 1st, three months into their entrapment, nearly every single person with a family would have lived.
0: However, the Donner Party also demonstrated, no matter how many of your friends and family are with you in an emergency, nobody can endure life-threatening conditions indefinitely.
1: Sometimes, survival is simply a matter of luck. Other times, a disaster is the culmination of a series of poor choices. Had the Donner Party avoided the Hastings Cutoff, they might have prevented the tragedy completely.
0: Or maybe, fate was at work. Given how treacherous the Western journey could be, it may have been inevitable that some Donner Party members would perish. It's impossible to explore every hypothetical.
1: Any time a disaster strikes, those who make it out alive may ask why they lived when others didn't. Perhaps the answer is as unique as the survivor.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. For more information on The Donner Party, amongst the many sources we used, we found Desperate Passage, The Donner Party's Perilous Journey West, by Ethan Rarick, extremely helpful to our research.
1: Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't
0: know for an answer. Go out and explore. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Andrew Messer, edited by Ben Hanani and Angela Jorgensen, with fact-checking by Bennett Logan and research by Bradley Klein. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner.
1: Hi, it's Richard, and I'm thrilled to share a special announcement with you. On July 12th, ParCast is releasing its first book, it's titled cults inside the world's most notorious groups and understanding the people who joined them it's based on the very popular cults podcast that my friends greg and vanessa host and starting right now you can pre-order it at parcast.com slash cults with the benefit of years of research and insights this captivating book has put together a comprehensive narrative that tries to make sense of mysterious groups such as nexium Heaven's Gate, The Manson Family, and more, exposing how shared beliefs can have deadly results and taking you deeper into the dark side of human nature than ever before. This book is a must-read for any true crime fan. There are limited copies available, so don't wait. Head to parcast.com cults now to pre-order cults inside the world's most notorious groups and understanding the people who Joined them. That's parcast.com slash cults. And thanks again for supporting Parcast.